with us. We're starting a new series, and the series is called The Skeptic and the Believer. All right, and maybe you're here because you got invited because somebody thinks you are either a believer or a skeptic, and I think we all fall into that category, don't we? Um, We're going to talk about some of the big questions of faith. Um, I have been around the church world a long time, and if I'm talking to someone who would say, well, I don't believe the things you believe, there typically is a few questions or a few issues that they bring up. So we're going to dive into some of those. You know, can, why, you quote the Bible at me, but why would we even believe that the Bible is true or real and can be trusted? Um, What about if God is good and powerful, why is there all this evil in the world? Um, He could certainly steer a hurricane away from an island, and why doesn't he do that? Why does he allow that to happen? Today, we're diving into the deep end right away with this main foundational question. You know, God, why, why do we even think that God exists? Specifically, the question of science. Doesn't science point us away from God? So this will hopefully not sound like a lecture. Um, there's a lot of information I'm going to get through, but that's kind of the main gist of our series. And as an introduction, um, I'll just kind of ask you to think about this. Are you typically, and not just in the issue of church and faith, but in the issue of most things that you hear, are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Um, In our house with Christy, Christy is my wife, she led worship today, Um, one of us is more of a believer when we hear something, like that's obviously true because someone told me, and one of us is more of a skeptic. Can you, you can probably figure out who, who's who, right? We, we all fall into the category of either one of those. Um, I'm more skeptical, not really in the issues of faith, although some things I still think, am I sure about that? But we'll get more into that later. Really, with most things, if somebody comes and talks to me and tells me how awesome something is or I should try this, my first response is, I'm going to need some proof on that, right? I feel like you're trying to sell me something. I'm a little skeptical of what you're having to say. Um, Christy is not like me. She is pure of heart, right? She believes if you tell her something, she'll think, well, you said it. I have no reason to believe that it's untrue, so I will believe every word you say. Um, This um, is... uh, exemplified. There's an example of this in her family. I heard this story again. I've heard this story a couple of times of Christy in the Lane family, and I've got most of the Lane family here today, so I'll have to make sure I'm right. Maybe you're skeptical if the details of this story are correct. Um, When she was young, very young, she did not like fish sticks. She didn't like fish sticks. She said, it's fish. It's gross. I don't like fish. I'm not eating fish sticks. Well, one day, there was something different about them, and uh, her mom, who's here, said, well, those aren't fish sticks. That's chicken fish. It's half chicken and half fish. It's a lot more like chicken. It's chicken fish. Just try it. It's different. So she tried it. This is great. I love, I love chicken fish. And so the story went on for years and years and years. Now, at some point, the family should have got together and said, we need to blow the whistle on the chicken fish. But that never happened. So for years and years... Every time fish sticks were served, Christy would say, is this chicken fish? And they'd say, yes, it is. Great. I love chicken fish. Well, inevitably, what happened was, and this is not, maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't think that this is, you know, now I'm a believer in this story. She went to college and living in the dorms and eating in the cafeteria. And you know where this story's going. There were fish sticks served. And the first words out of Christie's mouth as a freshman in college to the person serving the meal was, is this chicken fish? And then the whole thing 
the whole thing unraveled because she had been told something that she believed. She is pure of heart. She is a believer, right? So if you ever want Christy to believe something, just tell it to her. She will believe every word you say. Um, in the area of faith and belief in God, in the area of church and religion, the Bible, we have believers and we have skeptics. And maybe some of you are here today and you're skeptical. Um, believers would tend to say, I grew up in church. My parents told me this is true. The Bible says it's true. That's all I need. That's good. My Sunday school teacher told me all these stories. I believe them. That's all I need. I don't need any more than that. I believe it because it was told to me. I'm good. Skeptics, many of whom grew up in church, but they looked at it a little bit more like, ah, are you sure about that? The, the ark and the flood? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to need some evidence of that. You say the Bible says this. I'm going to need more than that because... Who wrote the Bible anyways? You know, the skeptics look at it and say, I'm going to need a little bit of evidence. Um, maybe a skeptic, if you're here, you used to believe, but not anymore, because growing up in church, you had those tough questions. You would say, well, what about this? What about this? And those questions were never answered to your satisfaction. They were never answered with any sort of evidence or anything. It was always, just believe just believe, don't doubt. Maybe you as a kid, you went to Sunday school and you, you know, were thinking about it one day and you're like, well, what about the dinosaurs, Mr. Sunday school teacher? What about the dinosaurs? And maybe the Sunday school teacher gave you a very churchy answer. Those, those dinosaurs, those aren't really dinosaurs. We call those Jesus horses. And, um, and they're not real. And those but the, the fossils were in the ground. Those fossils aren't real. Those were just planted there by the liberal media. They just planted them there. Maybe you got answers like that and you said, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make any sense to me. Or maybe you had a faith as a youngster and then as life happened, the circumstances of your life did not measure up to the God you were talked about or told about. And after a while, you said, this doesn't make any sense because life is happening to me, and yet I was told about this good God who could change circumstances. I was told about this good God who could heal people when you prayed for them. Whatever happened in life, for whatever reason, you started to drift away from belief, and you needed proof. It could be any number, excuse me, any number of reasons you don't believe, but maybe you are here today and you're a skeptic. And I'm just right away, I'm saying thanks for being here. I'm glad you're here. We're not going to ambush you with anything. But I have another reason to believe as we get going here that, um, that there are believers and skeptics. This applies to both believers and skeptics. We have, and this kind of hinders us no matter what side you're on, this hinders us in the search for truth because we have a tendency as humans to do this. We tend to believe what we want to be true. Okay, what we want to be true, we tend to believe that more than anything else. And I'll, I will illustrate that with this. It's football season. Some of you are watching the clock because the Vikings are going to kick off in 25 or 15 whatever minutes. Imagine, miracle of miracles, the end of the football season, comes down, NFC championship game, Packers versus the Vikings, okay? And the winner goes to the Super Bowl. Now, you have in your house 20 people, 10 in Packers jerseys, 10 in Vikings jerseys, and the game is close, and it comes down to the final play of the game. And Aaron Rodgers throws a Hail Mary, and then the Packer catches it, and he leans out the ball, and it's almost in the end zone, and the play is over, and it goes to video review, okay? The video review looks very close. Did the ball get into the end zone? This decides the whole game. In that moment, how many objective viewers of the truth 
looking strictly at the evidence, are there? There are none. There would be 10 people in Packers jerseys saying, clearly the ball is in the end zone. How can you even deny it? It's there, right? And the Vikings jerseys are saying, you got to be kidding me. The evidence is so much in favor of that ball being like 10 yards from the end zone. Everybody is swayed by what they want to be true, right? We have been there. Some of you will be there this afternoon watching that football game. We have the ability to believe what we want to believe. And that applies not just to football, really in any hot-button social issue today, right? And I'm not going to dive into these, but climate change, abortion, religion, evolution, Big Bang, whatever it is, if we're presented with evidence, we tend to be swayed with what we want to be true, all right? So believers and skeptics, all of us together, I think we can agree as we get started on these things. Just because I want something to be true doesn't mean that it's true, right? Just because I want God to be real, well, that wanting it doesn't make it true. Um, And on the flip side, just because something is unsettling to me doesn't mean that it's not true, okay? And as we look at evidence um, for, you know, science and faith, just because something is unsettling or uncomfortable doesn't make it not true. For example, my teenage daughter, 17 years old, has a boyfriend. I find that unsettling, okay? As her father, I find that unsettling to me. That's uncomfortable for me. But I would never try to convince you that he doesn't exist, that he's not true, he's not real, right? We should search for truth. We should look at evidence and see where it leads. And all believers and all skeptics should agree on that. Let's look at evidence. Let's see where it leads. So skeptics, I'm glad you're here. If, if you're here as a skeptic, I want to be a church that welcomes questions. Maybe you're a churchgoer, and deep down, you have these questions that just don't make sense, and you think, I can't ask these questions because any sort of question means that I doubt, and then I don't have faith, and then the whole, you know, house of cards comes crumbling down. No, we need to ask the questions. We need to have an understanding for why we believe, just so that we can know, this is why I believe, so that when we're asked, we can give an answer other than Jesus' horses. We can give an answer that, you know, is based on what we have researched, what we look at as evidence. And another goal I have is for our students, and here's a very common thing that happens in the church world. We have teen kids that grow up in church, they hear all the Sunday school stories, Then we have teenagers, they go through youth group, they're around all their Christian friends, and they believe all the things that they're told. And then they go off to college somewhere, and there's a professor who definitively says, the Bible is not real, God does not exist, evolution is truth, it's fact, science proves it. And these college students come back home saying, you... You lied to me the whole time. There's no such thing as chicken fish. There's no such thing as the Bible. It's all science proves otherwise. So I want our students to have a basis for their faith, for their belief. I want them to know this is why we believe what we do, so that when you are encountered with a professor or somebody that says, no, it's all wrong, you can say, no, this is why I believe. I have evidence. I have science that can back this up. So that's what we're going to look at today. And as we're diving into it, and I know you're thinking, this is a long introduction for a kickoff that's going to happen in 15 minutes. Um, I have to make this disclaimer. I am not a scientist. You know, I'm not a geologist or a biologist or a physicist. Anything that ends in an ist, I am not. My degree, my degree is a bachelor's degree in church music from North Central Bible College. So that's going to put everybody at ease right now, settle all the questions we have. 
Um, we're just going to scratch the surface. I have limited time. Um, basically, I won't have time today. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to kind of let you know some of the books I've been reading, both from the believer point of view. I've been reading some very interesting books by very smart people who are atheists, who this is the reason they believe what they read. I found that very, very interesting and fascinating. Um, but we're going to, I'll kind of give a list of resources um, maybe in the next couple of weeks of books that I've been reading. But we're going to look at this question today. Does science oppose faith? We have a belief in God. Doesn't science work against that? Doesn't science conclusively point away from the existence of God? Now, this is a misconception, but many believe that it is true. And they see it like this. If you want to be a believer, then you just have to believe. You kind of have to turn your brain off. You don't use your brain you don't really think about it, you just believe. But if you want to be a thinker, if you want to use your brain, well, then you point to science and evidence. And those two things, we kind of set those up as opposites. We set those up in opposition with each other. Um, maybe you've seen it as like a TV debate. Maybe you've seen one of those where today on CNN, we're debating science versus faith. And they set it up as two opposing views. And my experience is the guests they have and those things maybe aren't equally balanced. You know, here arguing for science is Professor this, he has a PhD in physics and is the head of the School of Science at USC and all these things, he's got all these degrees. Here arguing for faith is Terry. Terry lives off the grid, his kids make their own denim, and he thinks, and he thinks Oprah is the Antichrist. So let's, you know, Let's argue, and you kind of set it up. But we set these things up as opposites when they're not opposites. Believers, we don't need to be skeptical of science. There's times where we hear something on the news that's proven scientifically, and we're like, well, that can't. We've got to be opposed to that, right? Well, science and faith are not in opposition. Science does not have all the answers. Science does not have all the answers. What happened, and every credible scientist would say, there are things that science doesn't know yet. In fact, there are some of the most brilliant scientists, geologists, biologists, physicists that are believers in God, believers in a creator. But science, what it does is it, <coughs> it analyzes what exists. So you take a world that exists, a universe that exists, and science can analyze it down to the molecular level, we can see further into space than we ever have. It can take what exists and analyze it, but science does not have an answer for how or what caused it. There's theories, but there's no proof of that. You can't analyze something with science that doesn't exist or existed before the universe. You know, science has limitations. So anyone, and students hear this, anyone who says that science disproves God definitively is not being truthful. They're not being truthful. So at the very least, you have, if you have a professor saying, God doesn't exist, science proves it, at the very least, and not just based on, you know, the bachelor's degree nor Central Bible College Guide, there are very smart, smartest scientists in the world, many, many of whom are believers in a God that created it all. So science and faith don't oppose each other. So we're going to start with this. We're going to start right at the beginning, and we're going to read the Scripture account of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're not going to read the whole thing, just the first few verses. Now, if you're a skeptic, you're thinking, great, well, if your proof is what the Bible says, then I'm out because I don't believe what the Bible says is true. We're just going to start here. Genesis 1, verse 1 through 3, this is going to be up on the screen, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think that's one of the coolest lines in all of Scripture. I love that line. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see that Scripture points to this. That might not be convincing to you, but all matter, all life, everything that exists, time, the universe, everything that exists came into existence from God. Now, I believe Scripture can be trusted. Now, next week is where we jump into why do we believe that this Bible is true? I believe that there are good reasons that we believe that this Bible is truth and accurate. We're going to dive into that more next week. But I believe this is what the Scripture says. This is how it all came into being from God. And I believe there is scientific evidence, and I've been reading about this for several weeks now, there's scientific evidence that points in this direction, points that there is a God who created everything. I'm going to look at three different reasons as we, uh, as we work through this today. And the first of which is this, and this is going to be up on the screen. The first is morality. Can we put that slide up that says morality? That's the first one. Many people who believe in a designer or a creator would argue with this point. Morality. We all seem to have an understanding of morality, what is right and wrong, right? We can, this group of people, we would agree. If somebody, if there's a long line to turn off of 35 onto 94 and everybody's waiting their turn and somebody races right up to the front, turns on their blinker and cuts at the end, we all have a problem with that, right? But why? We all would say that's wrong. We all understand well, I was here first. Wait, you know, we wait in line. We take your turn. Um, I'll help you. Now you help me. Um, don't push your brother. He hasn't done anything to you. We all understand kind of these things. We have this idea of fair and unfair. Where does this come from? Where does this idea of morality come from? In order for morality to exist, there has to be kind of some higher moral standard that we compare it to. Otherwise, it's just completely random. But we all kind of have this shared sense of what is right and wrong. The famous author and philosopher C.S. Lewis, you might know him from, you know, the, write some of the books that he's written. Um, this, his journey of faith, he was an atheist, but his journey of faith started because he thought of this question. Where does morality come from? If we're just evolved, if we're just nature, if we're just biology cells that have multiplied and evolved, and now we're humans. This idea of morality, where does it come from? Fair and unfair, where does this come from? Um, you'll see this with kids, even from a young age. You put kids out in a park with a ball, you'll hear any number of things, that, well, you can't do that, that's against the rules. No, it was my, my turn now, you went for all these things that everyone seems to understand, but nobody could explain. How do we learn this stuff? Where did this come from? In order for something to be right and wrong, there has to be a higher set of morality that we are adhering to. I, was re I saw an article today that there were charges, their charges are going to be filed for five teenage boys. I don't remember where in the country this happened, but the story was there was a disabled man who fell into a pond and couldn't get out. His disability prevented him from getting out of the pond. There was five teenage boys who saw this. And what they did was they stood there, watched, and made fun of this man while he drowned. Okay? So they stood there. They could have helped him, but instead some were taking pictures, they were making fun of him, and they allowed him to drown. Now, when we hear that story, what's our response? I read that. I was just like, I'm disgusted by that. I think that's terrible. We would all agree that's wrong. That's wrong. But why would we think that? What basis do we have for assuming that? 
Is there some sort of morality that we've been taught? Um, we have no, if it's just biology, if it's just nature, we have no reason to think that's wrong or right. We have no, based on what are we believing that that's wrong? In an evolution world, natural selection, this would be normal. Actually, evolution would say the strong should survive, right? That's what it would say. So this would actually be a desired result. The weaker are perishing so that the strongest will survive and that the strongest DNA will be passed down and the human race will be stronger. Obviously, we have seen in history where that has taken a drastic evil turn, the idea of this group of people is more important than this group of people. Therefore, these should be allowed to thrive and these should be eliminated, right? Well, that is what natural selection would lead us to. But yet we hear that story and we think that's wrong. That's wrong. I read a quote. There's a quote. Let's put it up on the screen, that next slide, if we have that one. This is a quote from the sheriff who was making a comment about those five boys. I want to think that it's a natural instinct for any of us that if we saw somebody in trouble or somebody having an issue, that we would at least try to get them help. We would agree. But it is not a natural thing if we just evolved. This is not natural. But yet in our soul, we know there's something more. There's a morality. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. There's a verse in Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15. Let's throw that verse up on the screen. It says this. Even Gentiles, this is talking about people who don't know God, yet they still have kind of the law of God in them. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. And I love this line. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts. It's like we have this morality, this good, this higher set of standards stitched into us, this moral code. And I think that points to a designer. I think that points to a creator that instilled in us, because it would not happen naturally. It would not happen that we would all have this shared idea of what is right and wrong. A built-in love for people, a longing for justice. Just the, idea, the concept of justice, without a designer, it falls apart. Justice for what? For whom? Why would we say that one person is valuable? It's, it's in an evolution-only world. This does not look like the work of bi biology, but rather the work of a designer. So that's the idea of morality. We're moving through these quick. You can, I mean, there are books and books about all these things. The second point is this. First one was morality. The second one is this. Number two is the universe. The universe. In 1929, there was a huge discovery in science. It had to do with the universe and stars and galaxies. Anybody think of what that is? In 1929, there was a man named Edwin Hubble, and you know Hubble from the Hubble telescope. Okay, Edwin Hubble in his laboratory in California with his telescope, which was the largest telescope in the world, he made a discovery in 1929 that the universe, which everyone assumed at the time was, the stand, was fixed, eternal, unchanging. This was the eternal thing. He made a discovery that the universe was expanding. It was getting bigger. And that was, this changed how science views the universe. Based on that and further study, now science would concern, confirm the universe is not only expanding, but science confirms that there was a time when the universe began. Ooh, wow, that's interesting. There was a time when the universe began. That it, there was a time when it didn't exist, 
and now it existed. Okay, now we would say, well, that sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, right? But in the science community, they're like, there was a time where there was nothing, like nothing, and not like a little rock or an atom or something. All matter and time and physics and energy and everything happened in that moment, which science would say is the Big Bang. And we say, yeah, the Big Bang, it's, I mean, it's, a believer would say, that sounds a lot like Genesis 1. But what caused it? What caused this Big Bang? For something to happen, there had to be a cause. Um, where did it come from? What was there before that? What was there before the universe? Sorry if these, all these questions are like, this is too early in the morning on a Sunday to think about all these things. But if all time and matter everything that existed came into existence then, what was before that? Well, it couldn't be anything physical because that came into existence then. It had to be something above natural or supernatural or supernatural, something not physical but spirit. And we would say, well, that sounds a lot like God. That sounds a lot like in the beginning, God created time and matter and energy and the universe came into existence. Um, one interesting thought I was reading about this discovery in 1929, when Edwin Hubble made this discovery, talking about science versus faith, it wasn't the faith community that had a problem with his discovery. You know who had the biggest problem with Edwin Hubble's discovery at first were the scientists. They said, well, no, because that challenges how we viewed the universe. That can't be right because we have a whole paradigm of how everything existed, and now you're changing that. Um, I found that so interesting. It was the science community. They rejected it. And because I read a few quotes, and these are in my words, but they rejected that idea of the universe beginning because, and here's the reason, it sounds too much like the Bible. It sounds too much like the Christian's view of how the universe started. Therefore, it can't be right because it sounds like they're saying there was a creator who created everything. But if you ask scientists, and this is one answer they don't have, what caused the, the Big Bang, what caused the universe to exist, they don't have an answer. The leading theory, and I've read a bunch of things on this, the leading theory is this. It's called the nothing theory, okay? The nothing theory. Now, they think, they, they, they would say the nothing theory is that nothing happened. It just happened. Nothing happened. That sounds to me, and this is not scientific, but that sounds to me like when I hear a huge crash in the basement and my kids are down there, and I say, what was that? What do they tell me? Nothing. Well, it wasn't nothing. What they're saying with nothing was, it wasn't my fault or don't come down here, but something happened, right? Maybe it was something accidentally fell off the wall. Maybe the nail I put into the wall to hang the picture, maybe it broke. Maybe that happened. Maybe it was um, a crash in the storage room, or maybe a kid did something, or maybe my ears are causing a disorder where I'm hearing crashes, but there is no crashes. Regardless, something is happening. It can't be Nothing. It can't be nothing. But that's their leading theory of all matter, time, energy, everything that exists started. Um, and what caused it? Nothing. Nothing. It just happened. Um, now, we would say, common sense would say, that everything, and even science in every other area would say, in order for something to happen, it has to have a cause. There has to have a cause, which leads to the third way that science points to a creator. And the third one is this, complex design, complex design. How are we doing? Are we doing good so far? Everyone okay? We doing all right? All right, good. Just making, making sure. Um, let's continue with this idea of the Big Bang. 
Okay, the more science explores the universe, it speaks to immense, complex detail. The more they look into space, the more they study stars, the more they can study molecular things, and they, look, they see it as there is an immense complexity to this. The odds of it coming into existence, let alone coming into existence from nothing, but the odds of it coming into existence at all are impossible. And you would say, impossible, what, like one in a million? You know, so you're saying there's a chance? One in a million? No, it's actually one, in a number of one in 10, put that number up there, Charlie, one in 10 with 138 zeros after it. So put the next slide up. So that looks a little bit like this. One in that. So I'm not sure what that is, but that's more than a million. So um, astrophysicists would say that in order for the universe to come into existence as it has without it self-destructing or collapsing. Again, these are where the smart people talk and bachelor's, I, bachelor's degree in music, I could go play a song on the piano. But this is what the smart people have said, is for this to happen, it's like there were 120 different variables, laws of nature, physics, all these things, that had to be so exactly right. So imagine a dial, um, and if it's off, you know, by the million millionth of a degree, all these different laws of physics, they had to be exactly, exactly in place before the universe existed in order for the universe to do what it did. Um, so that's how we got that huge number. The odds of that happening were about that. But even if you say, and, and uh, skeptics and evolutionists would say, well, even if there was such a minute, like mathematically impossible chance, there is still a chance. It still could have happened. And they'd say, obviously, it did, because that's why we're here. But let's even look at that further. And this is where kind of Sunday morning, now that it's afternoon, we're OK for this. Even the laws, those dials that had to be dialed in, those laws of physics that had to be in place for the universe to do it mathematically impossibly the way it did, where did those laws of physics come from? If they had to be in place for this to happen, and if you ask an evolutionist or an atheist this, where did these laws of physics, I was reading um, or hearing someone talk about an interview with a very famous atheist, and this question was asked. So those laws of physics that were mathematically perfectly lined up, where did they come from? And they don't have an answer. They say, we don't know. We don't know. But they just were. Nothing happened. And then this mathematically impossible thing happened. But for me, this points to a creator. This points to a creator. The detail of the universe. There's a famous philosopher in the 18th century named William Paley, and he described it this way. This is not a quote, but this was just a, a paraphrase of what he said. If you're walking along the road, or if you're walking, walking along a path and you find a piece of wood, you would pick it up and say, oh, well, that must have fallen off a tree. That's how it got here. It just happened. It just happened naturally. But imagine you're walking down that same path and you pick up a watch and you see all the little gears and the tiny details and every little mechanism that has been put in there perfectly to cause this watch to work the way it does, you would never assume that this just happened. You would assume somebody made this, right? It's the difference, I love this example, it's the difference of going to the Grand Canyon where you could look at that and say, look at nature. Look at what years of erosion and that river and natural rock formations, look at what just happened. And then you go to Mount Rushmore and you see those faces in the mountain you would never go there and say, wow, look at what years of rain and wind just in the right thing. Like, you look at that and you say, somebody made this, right? Somebody had a plan. Somebody had a design. And the more science looks at the universe, the complex design, more and more of them are saying, this points to whatever you want to call it. It points to a designer. Something with great detail like this. Somebody made it. Somebody designed it. Creation is ordered, 
and detailed. It's not, and again, I'm not an expert in evolutionary theory, but evolution would be, starts from a tiny group of cells and evolves and it would be chaotic. We would have organisms and species that were like giraffes trying to be half giraffe, half fish, you know, something that's trying to evolve with four heads and, you know, all these things that they would say, all these evolutionary, you know, th streams that came out from the beginning and the, only the strongest ones survived. Well, we would still be seeing that today. We would, we'd have to think that there's going to be some giraffes that are kind of like bears and fish and mosquitoes and all these kind of hybrid mutations sort of thing, sci-fi movie, but there isn't. It's, it's ordered and detailed. And not only aren't those species in existence now, but they, there's no fossil evidence of these kind of hybrid things. It's ordered and detailed. And so to think that the universe, that creation in great detail just happened would be like, it's kind of like an illustration of if you had a deck of cards, playing cards, and it's 52 cards in perfect order numerically, and then in order of suit, and you had just like read out of the box. Um, imagine you're up in an airplane 10,000 feet and somebody opens the window and you throw that deck of cards out of the window. What's going to happen to those cards? They're going to scatter. What's going to happen as they fall to the earth? Order turns into chaos. They get further and further and further and further apart. To think that this complexity, uh, complexity of detail just happened would be like to assume those cards are going to fall down in the wind from 10,000 feet and they're going to land perfectly on top of each other in that same perfect numeric order. It's just, not only is it mathematically impossible, it's just not how it works. Order does not, I mean, chaos happens naturally. Chaos happens. It doesn't lead to complex, ordered design. All right, we're wrapping up here. Um, I am not knocking science. Science is, at times, miraculous. We have people in our house that have received medical treatment based on science that has saved their life. We have also been in hospital rooms where we have prayed for people and we have seen them live when the doctors were saying they should die. I like science and I like faith. I like God. I am not knocking science. Science does amazing things. But the more it develops, it reveals an immeasurably complex universe which points to a designer. The scientists now can map the human genome. They can see our, they can map out a human's DNA. They can see our humanity down to the smallest molecular level. And you know what they say? They see order and detail. They don't see chaos and randomness. They describe it as an incredibly inside the smallest molecular thing that they can observe now, which is pretty small. Inside each of that is an incredibly intricate code of information. This is what the scientists would say. There's like this code of information inside the cellular mechanism of every living thing. Intricate code of information. And they say it's like somebody placed in every living organism some sort of a code that is holding it all together. I'm going to read a verse from Colossians 1.16. See if this sounds like that. Colossians 1.16, can we throw that verse up there? For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love that idea. I think science points to that. You can be a skeptic and say, you haven't convinced me, and I understand that. 
people have a lot, there's a lot of smart people who are skeptics. But I love that idea. When we look at science, I think it points to that. There is complexity that so it points to something that was there before all things that is holding it all together. Now, real quick, I'm going to just take a couple minutes. Sorry, I'm going a little late. Um, the biblical account of creation in Genesis 1. This is where a lot of people say, you know, science would say the earth is 15 billion years old, and if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that it's like 6,000 or 10,000 years old because you have the genealogy of Adam all the way down to Jesus, and you can do the math, and if you believe the literal creation that's listed in the Bible, then the earth would have to be about no more than 10,000 years old. Now, um, some believers argue or would say that that six days of creation that you read about in Genesis didn't happen in six ordered days, but there was long gaps in between each one. Um, and then other people would say, well, no, I believe that the six days of creation were literal six days. There's a lot of people who would say, based on what I see in the Bible, that the earth is 10,000 years old. So you think, well, how can that be because of the fossils and the Grand Canyon and the dinosaurs and all these things? How could anybody believe that when science says not only did the universe begin, but it began about 15 billion years ago. So how do we do that? How can we understand that? And I don't have a strong view either way. I believe that the Bible is an accurate account of creation. The timing of it, I'm going to leave that up to God because he's got more than a bachelor's degree in music. Um, but the, how can that be? Well, let's imagine this. When God created Adam, let's say day one of Adam, he's in the Garden of Eden. He's just been created, day one. Um, was he a mature adult? Yes, he was. God created a mature Adam. So let's imagine the leading team of scientists, geologists, and biologists, they get in a time machine and they go back to day one or day one of Adam, which is like day six of creation, and they go talk to Adam. What's the first thing that you're going to say? Well, they're going to say, you know, put some clothes on, please. But the second thing they're going to say is, wait, a, hold, hold on a second, Adam. Is that how you pronounce it, Adam? Um, how old did you say you are? And Adam would say, well, I'm one day old. You are not one day old. If a one day old human would be an invisible clump of cells, you cannot be one day old. You have a beard. You know, you're like at least 20. God created a mature Adam. I believe that God created a mature earth. Why would we assume any differently? This, the leading team of geologists would say, look at this tree here, Adam. How long has that tree been here? And he'd say, I think like two days. That tree's at least 150 years old, they would say. How can it poss be possible that that tree has been here 150 years? Those rock formations, look at this earth, that canyon there, those rock formations, those have formed over billions of years, and yet you say the earth is three days old. Well, I believe there is no reason to doubt that God created a mature Adam. God created an earth that has aged, a mature earth. Um, I think the Bible talks about six days of creation, and there's no reason to doubt that. He made a mature earth. He made a mature universe, a universe that maybe already had expanded. That's how I view it. I don't have a, an opinion of a solid, literal six days or days that were spread out over billions of years. Um, I'm sure we'll figure that out later. But I love thinking about scientific evidence that points to a designer, points to a creator, points to this because humans have morality. We have this built-in right and wrong. Points to a universe that started to exist and something had to be there before to cause it. So we're, we're done here. If you're a skeptic, I'm sure you've heard all these things before if you've looked into it and you're like, yeah, but this and yeah, but this. And I've heard all this before. Morality, universe, Adam, aged. I get it. I've heard it all before. And you have arguments to the contrary. Um, I'm not out here trying to disprove 
evolution. My goal today was simply this. I believe science points to God. I believe science points to faith. So people of faith, we need not be skeptical of science. Whenever I hear of a great scientific um, discovery or something, my first thought is, huh, so that's how God did it. You know, that's why, oh, that's cool. That's how God did it. That's interesting. Um, So maybe you're wondering this if you're a skeptic. Yeah, I get all this, I get all this, I get all this. Why would God make it so hidden? Why would God be elusive? Why does God not want to know us? Why doesn't he give us proof? Why doesn't he write his name in the sky in a big fireball? You know, I am the one true God and I exist. Like definitively settle it, like discussion over. Um, And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, well, if that happened, first of all, those who, you know, we believe what we want to believe, if you don't want to believe in God for whatever reason, there would be all sorts of explanations. Well, it's, you know, natural this, it's northern lights, it's North Korea, it's whatever it is, there would be explanations for it. So that's one thing I think that would happen if the fireball signature of God came in the sky. Um, I think that God has designed it where faith is always going to have an element of faith. Bible says over and over, Jesus says this, when you seek me, you'll find me. Seek me and you'll find me. Pursue me and I will be there. There's an element of he, he doesn't want to just spell it out. I think there's an element of he wants us to have some faith, some questions that we can't quite answer. And finally, I thought of this this week. Um, why doesn't God write his name in the sky? And, uh, and I, was at, I was out late at a small Minnesota town at a wedding last night, and as I was leaving, clear sky, I looked up in the stars, and I thought, well, why, why didn't God write his name in the sky? I thought, he, I think he already has. I think he already has. Um, I believe that our universe points to a creator. I think the intric- intricate design of us points to a creator. Let's pray together as we close. Thank you, Lord. Um, for your creation, what you have done. I pray for those believers and skeptics and most of us who are somewhere in the middle. Um, help us to always just search for truth. Help us to seek you. Help us to seek you in the midst of it and to not be scared off by different things, but to have a faith in you, to seek you, and we know that you will be found. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead. Sorry I went a little longer. Make sure you go get your kids and say thank you to the kids workers because your kids after a while get a little squirrely. And so they're probably going to be ready for you to grab them. Next week we talk about the Bible, why we can believe that it is true. Have a great week.